Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. From Flushing Meadows in New York City, we welcome you to Tennis Channel Live, our pregame coverage at the 2019 U.S. Open, flying over Lower Manhattan and the Brooklyn Bridge out to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center on this third day of the championships. Serena Williams got her U.S. Open started on Monday with a drubbing of her longtime nemesis, Maria Sharapova. A very different kind of matchup for Serena tonight against the teenager, fellow American Katie McNally. If Serena repeats Monday's form, she's going to be tough to beat. Roger Federer, well, he stumbled out of the gate just a little bit, and his opener dropped the first set to a little-known qualifier, but he did get it together and won in four. He'll be looking for a cleaner start today. With that, we say good morning to you from the Rocket Tennis Channel desk inside Arthur Ashe Stadium, and welcome to Tennis Channel Live on the air for another three hours of pregame coverage on this Wednesday alongside John Wertheim and Lindsay Davenport and Jim Courier. I'm Brett Haber. Rest of our Tennis Channel team will be along throughout the morning. We had kind of an orderly start to this U.S. Open, but then yesterday, chaos erupts on the men's side. We lose four top ten men. Jim, what was your takeaway from yesterday? The third quarter of the year. The third quarter of the men's draw blew wide open yesterday, didn't it? In a way, we had Dominic Team go down. Stefano Tsitsipas, the two high seeds, they're out. That means Gail Monfils, the ever-predictable Gail Monfils, <laughs> is your highest seed in that section. But it is a shot-maker's delight. Then the shot of all off. Nick Kyrgios also there. Someone's coming through. It's not going to be the high seeds, though. Well, these two players, they might not have been in the top 10 when the seedings were done last week, but the women's draw lost two former Grand Slam champions in Sloan Stevens and Garbina Muguruza. Always kind of outside picks if they get hot, if they're able to play well. Both of the slumps continued for those players, and uh, we just hope that they're able to find their game, find their magic in the last part of this year. On a happier note, Coco Goff, you're making it very hard for us to restrain our hype and our enthusiasm. We're trying to be measured here, but you just keep winning. You're supposed to be in high school. You're supposed to be worried this week about Mrs. Schneiderman's algebra class and when the next season of Big Mouth is dropping, but you keep winning matches impressively, picking up where she left off at Wimbledon. Mrs. Schneiderman is a very tough grader. I hear we'll have Coco's highlight coming up in a few minutes. Let's show you what's ahead on the three-hour monster this morning. We'll hop aboard the 7 train to sort through some of the other big storylines as this third day begins. There's the train. It's coming around. Paul Anacone will have the latest installment of coaching in the bigs. He introduces us to the man behind Daniil Medvedev's success this summer. And Mary remembers her great friend Vitas Gerolaitis on this, the 40th anniversary of his run to the 1979 U.S. Open final. All of that and more coming up on today's show. We're going to take an early look at what the tennis world is doing and saying on social media on this Wednesday. Uh, folks in Australia woke up to find out that Nick Kyrgios had a good night. He did the Petco dance out on uh, Armstrong. He was buttoned up. He was focused, and he beat Stevie Johnson. And while it was late here, 1 a.m.-ish when it ended, it was daytime in Australia. Sam Groth, former star of My Tennis Life, 
noted that Nick is doing his finest work at 1 a.m. here in New York. I'm not sure if that was a double meaning, but he was engaged <laughs> and fired up and, and dangerous. He was all those things. Yeah, and the draw has indeed opened up for Nick. There's no doubt about it. I mean, look, if, if he can play in the nighttime on a show court, that's probably exactly what he's after. He loves that energy for sure. And yeah, he got, yes, he got a warning for audible obscenity last. Wouldn't be a Nick match unless we had something like that in there. But by and large, that could have been a dangerous match. D.V. Johnson had played well in Winston-Salem. Nick comes through and uh, he's doing okay. I, think, I like the conditions also for Nick. The weather a little bit cooler. And again, as Jim said, if he's able to play at night in that showtime kind of atmosphere, look out for Curios. He was here at about 5 in the afternoon just waiting out those matches. So you always wonder a little bit about scheduling. I mean, Lord knows when he got to sleep. But, boy, that was a nice first three sets of tennis for Kyrgios. Uh, Kyrgios won, Kokonakis won, Poprin won. Pretty good day for the young Aussies yesterday. Sure sleep's a focus for Nick, by the way, John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lots to get to on our TC Live this morning. Seven train is rumbling in to the station. Rafa is in the lead car today. We will hop aboard when TC Live returns. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Back on TC Live, and a quick reminder that you can download the Tennis Channel app today. It is the best way to stream Tennis Channel, TC Plus, and other free on-demand content all in one place, available now for all your devices and all the customary app store locations. Weather on this Wednesday. We haven't touched 80 degrees over the first two days of the tournament. We might get there today. But still, all things considered, right? Very pleasant conditions to start this tournament? Absolutely. Yeah. We could have a little rain, though. 60% chance uh, by the end of the day, though. We do have two roofs. Roofs or roofs? I think both are acceptable. Sophia, Sonia. Either acceptable. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, so bear that in mind as we show you the rundown for the Raymond James feature matches on Ash today, starting with the world number three and the runner-up here three years ago, Carolina Pliskova. Then Roger dropped a set Monday, gets Demir Jumher today under the lights. Defending champ and world number one, Novak Djokovic, against Juan Ignacio Londero of Argentina. And the nightcap is Serena taking on the teenager from Cincinnati, Katie McNally. Okay, time for our daily ride on the 7 train. It is, as you know, the best way to get out here to Flushing Meadows. Also, our daily vehicle for examining the seven big storylines unfolding at the U.S. Open. Let's get right on to car one on this Wednesday. That's for Coco Goff. The 15-year-old sensation made her debut last night at the Open. Beat Potapova, another teenager. Came out a little nervous, but Lindsay, boy, did she get it together. Oh, she really did. And we got a glimpse of the future. A 15-year-old battling an 18-year-old, and these two were we're killing it out on Armstrong. The level of tennis so high from both players. Absolutely loved the way that Coco was able to reset after the first set. She looked a little bit overwhelmed in the beginning, but for 15 years old was able to settle down. I don't know what it is, but she has it. She is able to control the crowd at 15 years old. She had this place rocking. Maybe didn't play her best match of all time, but look at the fight. Look at the energy. It was impressive. 
So yeah, she was a little nervous. The winners to unforced ratio wasn't great for Coco, but but just overall, big picture, what's impressing you the most about her? She knows how to win on those days when she's not necessarily playing her best. As Lindsay said, there was a nice reset, took in the occasion. I also give the USTA a lot of credit here. We're all trying to balance how much are we going to hype this play as undeniable talent, and how much do we also want to respect the fact that she is 15? She was third on, it was Armstrong, it was sort of late in the session, but that ended up by virtue of her play in the tenor of the match. That became a rocking scene, and Coco prevailed in the yeah, end. What's obvious that she is pretty technically proficient, what's also obvious is, is that she is emotionally engaged. She knows how to use the crowd. She's a natural-born competitor from what we're seeing. It's early doors. Obviously, we're just looking at, at a small body of work thus far, but, but everything that we're seeing just leads towards not only success but fan engagement. She really brings the fans into the match too. And also the game. That first set she was trying to out hit Potapova. That was not happening. Potapova was getting the better of Coco in the baseline exchanges when Coco was trying to hit with her. What happened in the second set? We saw a little bit more variety from Coco Goff. We saw a few more chips. We saw a few higher balls. That's a player already at 15 that has a plan B and is not afraid to think her way through a match and how to figure it out. Also showed her poise after her opponent called a medical timeout late in the match, able to get across the finish line. Coco will now play Tamea Babosh in the second round. Let's go to card number two. That's for Sloane Stevens, the champion here two years ago, who is headed home, losing late last night to the Russian qualifier Anna Kalinskaya. Uh, what happened here, Lindsay? This was a tough watch to see a player like Sloane and her ability not play at 100%. She's been struggling for the last few months, and she played a player who comes in very hot. She was able to get to the semis of Washington. She qualified here and won three matches. But it, it was just the way this match went. Sloan was so reactive. We talked about that in Coach's Corner yesterday. For the majority of this match, she was well behind the baseline. And Colin Sky was able to take advantage and just rip balls from the back of the court. 33 unforced errors for Sloan, just 15 for Colin Skaya. Look, Sloan's top end, as we've seen firsthand, is Grand Slam champion caliber. Why do you think she fluctuates so much between that level and, and the level we saw last night? I think it's mental engagement with her. I think that just more times she, she's interested at times, and then there's sometimes which she's not. And she's been okay with that. She's admitted that she's okay with that and told the press, hey, you guys don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. And she's been right. She's then had other huge peaks. So for her, maybe bringing Kamal Murray back, her coach who was with her here when she won, they just rejoined forces five days ago. Maybe that's a sign that she wants to try and get more consistent. But who knows? I mean, it, again, got to remember, they're the boss of, the, of their corporations. They show up to work when they want to. Sometimes Sloan just not quite as fired up as, as she possibly could be. I mean, she went to press pretty quickly after a match last night. But she said in her press last night, she needs energy. She needs good vibes. She needs energy, fist pumps, and it's just not there right now. And she's not sure why, but that has been missing from her, her game, her practices. And we'll see. Kamal might be the one that's able to get that spark reignited. That's what she needs. She needs energy. We haven't felt much from her this year. Yeah. You guys both mentioned engagement. She's 15 and 9 since she's been engaged. She's only 21 and 16 <laughs> on the year. No titles. This has not been a banner year for Sloan. But right before she took the court, there was an announcement that she was named to the WTA Player Council. And I thought that was interesting. On the one hand, that's something else she has to deal with outside of tennis, but it also suggests someone that's engaged in the tour. This is not someone you see going on leave. This is someone who seems pretty fixed on her profession right now. So I, I take that as a good sign. Yeah, it's a great sign. Both Madison and Sloan now on the Players Council trying to uh, 
get real change on the WTA. We'll see if it happens. For the record, that was Sloan's 10th loss of the year to a player ranked outside the top 40. Let's go to card number three. That is reserved for Rafa. Started his pursuit of U.S. Open title number four against John Millman, the man who knocked Roger Federer out of this tournament last year. Jim, Lightning would not strike twice. No, Nadal was all over this one from the jump. Millman is a, well, he's a terrific athlete. Last year, he toughed out Federer in extreme humid conditions. Nadal was having none of it, but it was interesting to watch the way that Nadal was attacking this match. And by attacking, I really say focusing on his serve because he was serving huge last night. He didn't make a high percentage of first serves, only 57%. Normally, 66% is the number he is in 2019. But the speed on his first serve was very reminiscent of 2010 when he jacked his serve up and won this title and then backed off of it for a long time. 119 miles an hour was his wow. average first wow. serve speed. Wow. That's faster than he's been all year long. And 100 miles an hour on the second serve. So again, this thought of Carlos Moya trying to help him play shorter points, protect the body, less defense, that was on full display last night. Talk about lightning never striking twice. Neither did heat. These conditions, as you said yesterday, really favor Rafa. Fans sometimes say, why do they just jack his serve up like that the whole time? Mm -hmm. And I think that's condition dependent. I also want to spare 10 seconds for his next opponent, Tanaki Kokonakis, the wildcard from Australia. A few years ago, seen on par of Kyrgios. has had a lot of injury trouble. He's back. He won a four-setter, and now he gets Rafa. Yeah. Last year, we saw Rafa kind of struggle to get to the semis. A long match with Hatchinoff, a very long match with team, and his body started to break down. Let let him down in that semifinal against Del Potro where he had to retire. This is the type of first week he needs. Quick matches, efficient matches, straight sets. That gives him his best chance in the second week. And the bottom half of the draw has blown open in Rafa's favor after all the upsets yesterday. Let's move on to car number four. That's headed north of the border for the all-Canadian clash between Shapovalov and Oje Aliassi. Remember this last year? They met in the first round in 2018, and it led to Felix having to retire in the third set with effects of his heart rhythm condition and led to one of the most memorable moments of the year with the two friends embracing at the net and Dennis consoling his good friend and saying, hey, you're going to be back here many, many times. In fact, he was back here a year later against his good friend again. Now Felix, John, is the higher-ranked player, but it was Dennis who absolutely dominated this match. Yeah, Felix ranked almost half as many points as Shapovalov, but this was all Dennis. This, uh, this was a repeat, and we did not have the drama last year in any sense. This was a match that Shapovalov dominated really start to finish. He had five of six break points saved. He also was able to break Felix six times. Felix said he was a, a, a bit nervous, and the third set you could see get a little closer, but uh, this was a match that Dennis really needed, and he came through. And in FAA terms, uh, we've hit a bit of turbulence. This has not been uh, a great summer for Felix after such a promising, I I would strange, go so, strange result. Go so far as to say there's been a ground Grounding. on uh, Felix. Uh, you were watching his second serve last night, Jim. It's something that we've been thinking about and, and talking about a lot on Tennis Channel this summer because double faults have infected the game of Felix Ojealiasim. He had six yesterday against zero aces, and the way that he approaches his second serve, I think, is problematic. This Hawkeye shows us the types of spin that he uses on his second serve. The blue dots represent a slice serve. That's a riskier second serve with typically less margin for error. The red dots, those are the ones that I would like to see a lot more of in Felix's game. Those are the kick serves when you toss it far over your left side and generate top spin on the ball. That typically gives you more room for error. You can be aggressive. 
He's averaging 102 miles an hour on his second mm. serve. That's too much. He needs to back off of the accelerator, get more balls in play, focus on the next shot after the serve as opposed to trying to win with a second serve. So this is a real issue that Paul Anacone and I are going to tackle on Coach's Corner here oh. in the coming days and try and figure out the solutions for Felix. But that's a little look into what I think the solution might All right. be. All right, so, so taking last night's match out of the equation, let's call it an aberration for Felix if he can work out his second serve. If you had to buy stock in one of these two Canadians oh. for the long oh. term, and, and by the way, no mutual funds where you can combine them oh. together, who you got? John, uh, it's, it's got <laughs> to be an either or one. like that. Yes. Um, I, I think you go pro probably go long on Felix, who just has uh, the bigger game, and I think that his trajectory is probably a, a little bit steeper. But uh, again, since hiring Mikhail Yuzhny, who would have thought? Yeah. Uh, since hiring Mikhail Yuzhny, Denis Shapovalov has played some very nice tennis now. If I have to pick one or the other, I buy neither. I think it's so even between the two. Buy both then. Well, well, he said I couldn't. I thought. Well, when I said you couldn't buy both, I didn't think you'd go with I'm going to buy neither. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in both of them. I think that they're both special talents. They both have different traits that set them apart from other players that are their ages. I think it's really hard to pick. They're going to go up and down. It's a totally different landscape for Ajay right. Aliassime this year. Now he's the favorite to beat Shapovalov. Last year it was it was the other way. I think both of these players are, are going to be great. I'm convinced they're both going to have terrific careers and find themselves in the top ten. I'm also convinced that Felix is going to be number one. I can't say that I feel so strongly about Dennis. Yeah. Wow. All right, Dennis plays Henry Laxon in, in the next round. Let's go to car number five, which is for the defending champion. World number one, Naomi Osaka, opened her defense against Anna Blinkova of Russia. Did drop a set, but uh, got through it in three in her first time back on Ash. What do you think? Yeah, it was interesting to see Osaka out there. She was trying so hard. After the match, she said it's the most nervous she's ever been to play a match. And this is a player who won her first Grand Slam here last year. She had match point in the second set, wasn't able to come through, played a slot tie break and pretty soon she found herself in a third set but she was battling out there she was trying to pump herself up she broke sir five times she actually only got broken twice but it it was the fight in Osaka I love to see it out there with the energy stole a set lost a set won a set and keep in mind <laughs> she needs to win one more match as does her opponent and we have a Coco Goff Naomi Osaka oh, yeah. third rounder I think that will reveal a great deal about where both those two players and will reveal a great deal on the secondary ticket markets as well <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a barn burner if we get there she has to play Magda Lynette in the second round before she gets to a potential matchup with Coco car number six well it stayed on the rails last night you saw Stevie Johnson and there's Nick Kyrgios I don't know. Would you call him buttoned up and, and focused last night? Well, he certainly played a, a buttoned up tiebreaker in the second set where things could have gone a little bit, uh, more, gotten more tricky for him. Stevie Johnson coming in with some momentum, but Curio stifling it with a nearly flawless performance. Look at the speed, the slide, and then the little shimmy afterwards. <laughs> so Nick was in good mood. The fans were having fun out there. There was, of course, an audible obscenity. There were, uh, you know, a couple of little bumps along the road but not in the scoreboard. And Steve Johnson has played his way back into form this summer as well, winning a challenger, getting to the semifinals in Winston-Salem, but uh, he didn't have solutions for Nick. Nick just a little too strong, a little too solid, and, uh, yeah, that's a good start for the Aussie. 
story could use a bit of a redemptive turn after Cincinnati, and that was three sets of solid tennis. Keep an eye on the draw because Andre Rublev lurks potentially in round three. But if I think you're curious, you're probably not thrilled about what again, what time you got to bed if you care about these things. But he has to be pleased with this. Yeah, team. but he's almost back to neutral from the hundred thirteen thousand dollar fight yeah, exactly. Cincinnati. Oh, he gets hundred thousand for the second chip round. Away. So yeah, that's, that's tax okay. consequences as well. <laughs> Maybe exactly. he's figured something out with scheduling. You can't be in the dog and fox at one a.m. if you're playing on court at one a.m. Right? The dog and Fox, the bar at Wimbledon? Well, or the equivalent in New York. You, <laughs> yeah, get, you yeah. get my point. I think he's going somewhere else here. I, okay, fine. Nick is moving on. He'll play Antoine Wang in round two, the French wild card. Here's the caboose. Car number seven's for the two goats who are trying to make history at this U.S. Open. Serena off and running. She beat Maria Sharapova. Pursuit of record tying major title number 24 is underway. Meanwhile, Roger Federer started his Open with a four-set win over Sumit Nagal as he tries to extend his record. John, of these two goats, which one is more likely to achieve his or her goal next weekend? Uh, that's a great question. I, I guess you have to say Serena. I mean, it's a very different dynamic, isn't it? Where Serena's playing Margaret Court. I say Serena Williams has a rival in Western Australia in her mid 70s. Roger Federer is doing this while his two contemporaries that are right at his heels are playing in the same draw. So we talk about. Federer, Serena, we bracket them together. They were born within a few months of each other in 1981. But really, what they're doing right now, it's a very different setup. And uh, I thought, boy, Serena's been to the final of the previous major. She looked terrific in her first round. I guess if I have to choose one, I'll say Serena. I'll be a little bit more definitive. I, I think Serena. I think that her form the other night and everything that we've seen since that Wimbledon final loss, her commitment this summer, the practice week here, the week leading in, she was focused. She was engaged out on the court. She looked like she was very, very motivated. I don't know. I think we saw a, a Serena on Monday night. That is, this is my last chance of the year. I'm not going to let another one pass me by. Now the moment may get to her. But how she was playing, how she was serving, how she was moving, that's the level that can win another major for her. It's a clean sweep, I think, Serena, too, primarily for the, for the draw reasons. The fact that, that uh, he has to go through both Djokovic and Nadal, most likely if we stay on form, that's a big, big ask for sure for Federer. All right, that's the seven train for this Wednesday. It'll be rumbling into the station every morning at this time. TC Live back in a moment with much more. Next month, the third annual Laver Cup will take place in Geneva, Switzerland. Home game for Roger. He and Rafa leading Team Europe against Kyrgios and Isner and the rest of Team World. Live coverage of the Laver Cup begins September 20th right here on Tennis Channel. Well, 16 American men made the main draw here at the Open. They went 7-9 and nine in the first round. Four of those Americans will play their second rounders today. Dennis Kudla takes on Dusan Lajevic. Riley Opelka takes his big game up against Dominic Kopfer of Germany. Jensen Brooksby, last year's Kalamazoo winner, goes up against Nico Basilashvili. And former Stanford star Bradley Klon faces former U.S. Open finalist Kay Nishikori, we are back with you on TC Live. We say good morning to Mr. Paul Anacone as we talk about some of the Americans who are playing today. And let's start with Riley Opelka had the big win over Fabio Fonini in the first round. Paul, he is so much more than just a big serve, isn't he? He is. And, and you know, it's been so much fun to watch Riley this summer and this year after he won in New York, getting really comfortable feeling like he can compete pretty consistently. We've seen a lot of the emotional peaks and valleys, but he's getting better and better. Um, I, I can't say how impressed I am with his movement. You know, we, he talked about it with us, Brett, right uh -huh. earlier in the year, and I saw so many points where he was scrambling, staying in rallies with Fonini. He's really starting to believe a lot more than just his serve, and it's been fun to watch. 
Yeah, I mean, the comparisons are pretty obvious between him and John Isner, just from a height standpoint. But of the big men, including Ivo Karlovic, this is the most athletic. This is the one who moves the best. He's super agile for a man his size, can cover a lot of ground, and he can just flat out take the racket out of anybody's hand that he plays. There's no doubt about that. So uh, he, he has a lot, and I mean a lot, of upside potential here. And, and it's mostly been about Jay Berger and their team, Yaniv Abone, Gary Kitchell, getting him healthy and getting him in the right mindset because he's a guy who can, unfortunately, get really critical on himself, very self-critical, very negative at times. But when he's positive, I mean, he is an absolute beast on the court. He's a lovely guy as well who gets, you say, Jim, he doesn't get angry at circumstances and he doesn't get mad at the chair. He gets mad at himself sometimes. He lost that third set against Fonini. He had match points and he said, oh, this could turn. He came back in the fourth set. One of the rewards for pulling an upset like that, you get an unseeded German qualifier in your next match. Also, keep in mind, Opelka had mono at this time last year. Yep. He basically didn't play the last quarter of 2018. He's defending nothing, already up to 42. He could very easily be seated by the Australian Open. All right. Uh uh, he made the third round at Wimbledon last month. Did Riley, if he wins his match today, he will match that as his best major ever. Let's talk about 18-year-old Jensen Brooksby, the Kalamazoo National Junior Champion from last year. He took out Tomas Burdick, the former Wimbledon finalist, and he's back at it today against Nico Basilishvili. What should we know about Jensen Brooksby, guys? Well, one of the most enjoyable things to watch about this young man is his tennis IQ and against a big hitting Thomas Burdick who granted is coming back from injury did such a great job from neutral in rallies really understands how to use this game open the court up doesn't have a huge weapon but I love what he tries to do with court positioning makes great shot selection decisions and you can see the elation there that's such a big win for him. Um, uh, I worry a little bit just about his weaponry he doesn't have a huge weapon so he always has to be spot on with the decision making and so far from what I've seen he has been does he turn pro and take the money or does he go to Baylor like he's supposed to do in January he has not decided yet yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a, such a tough question because obviously he's off to a great start his ranking is going to be up in the 200s he'll have options this fall when he's not going to be in classes to play a lot of challengers basically as much as he wants and that he could get his ranking obviously even higher if he keeps playing at this level so he may maybe doesn't even have to make the, that decision but if he wants the money yeah he's got right. to make it now it's over a hundred grand already hundred thousand dollars is, is a lot right can we wait 48 hours because I think a he'll make even more money if he wins a second round match but B you mentioned Thomas Burdick that's a great win on paper but Burdick did not look anything like the former Wimbledon finalist I think against Basel it's really hard hitting 17 seed I think that will tell Jason Brookby a lot more about where his game is right now yeah I wonder if there's a phone call coming from Mark Hurd at Oracle who is so <laughs> supportive yeah, right. of tennis and is a proud Baylor tennis alum to maybe twist an arm politely on Mr. Brooksby. We wish him luck in his second rounder. Much more to come on the program on this Wednesday. Man, they're busy at work stringing all these rackets. Part of the behind-the-scenes coverage that you get here at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. We'll look at the American women when we come back. Download the U.S. Open app and you can get all the latest scores and the statistics, the match highlights, the player news, all kinds of celebrity sightings and much more. It's available in the App Store and the Google Play Store. All right, we have got to talk about all the women's tennis that will be coming your way, including a couple of, Mer of Americans going at it, Serena Williams and Katie McNally, Sonia Kennan taking on the German, Laura Sigmund, Lauren Davis, and Ash Barty who struggled in her first round, Venus and Svitolina. 
Kids, we got some good stuff. Paul Anacone and Lindsay Davenport on the Rocket Desk with me. All right, Lindsay, should we start with Madison Keys, who's having a very snappy summer? Well, uh, Cincinnati was so huge for Madison to get that confidence and get that momentum yeah. coming into this tournament. And she's a different player now than she was at the beginning of the summer where we saw her struggle in Washington, D.C. and then up in Canada. And today, playing a player ranked 122 in the world, matches that Madison has control of, where she's able to serve and dictate play. She feels very comfortable, and we saw that in her first-round match against Misaki Doi. Got a little bit close at the end of the first, and then Madison able to win seven games, excuse me, eight games in a row, and close this match out. She was serving great. She was using her forehand, hitting the ball big. It's so amazing. When you see a power player that starts to get confidence, it can be so overwhelming to the rest of the field because Maddie hits the ball so big. When yep. she feels comfortable and she feels like she can come through under pressure, she takes the racket out of so many players' hands. So you hit the nail on the head, Lindsay, with that big win in Cincinnati. She looks totally different now. She really believes in big moments and not missing. And there's not another player on the women's side who's gotten to the quarters or better of five of the last majors. This is where she shines. Yeah, I mean, she's really learned how to manage herself at the majors. Yeah. And the days off also helped Madison quite a bit to be able to reset, refocus, get any injury niggles out of the way, all of that stuff. I think once you're comfortable, on the big stage and you know how these Grand Slams work. You know that the off days you've got to really conserve your energy. You know it can be chaotic on your match days. Once you kind of figure out how, how that goes, a lot of good things fall into place. Venus Williams has figured out a lot of things over the years. <laughs> She's been here an awful lot. Two-time winner of the U.S. Open. She's ranked 52 in the world now, Paul, and she's going to be taking on Alina Svitolina, the number five. What are we thinking? What's going to happen? Well, today? you know, boy, it's an interesting challenge today for Venus. But from what we saw the other day, I mean, this was impressive. When she's playing this, again, power tennis, big serving, big aggressive ground strokes, no hiccups in that first round match. And I think the smile says it all. Feeling free, nothing on the arm, which is yeah. great. Didn't see any banding or bandages or strapping on the arm. But today's a different story against Svitolina. Such a good counterpuncher. Svitolina up two to one in their head to head. I think Venus has to be a little bit more patient. She's got a little bit more, more patient, bigger targets, but she's got the power. But she, you want her to be patient against Svitolina? You don't want her to go big early? Smart. You like my favorite catchphrase, patiently aggressive. <laughs> Not aggressively patient, patiently aggressive, which means hitting to big targets, right. get inside the court, then pull the trigger. Yeah, and that was the great thing in Venus in her first round match, Paul. Always, I look for the tape, whether it was on the knee for the last few years or on the arm. She needs big serves, and she needs to be able to cover the court. Of course, she doesn't cover the court as well as 15 years ago. But when her knee was bothering her, it was very tough for her to get in yes. offensive position. It was tough for her to stay in rallies. That first-round match, we didn't see any signs of that. She was able to play defense. She also needs to be able to take control off the return of serve. The Svitolina second serve can get shaky. Venus has got to make her feel that. Between Venus and Serena, they only lost, what, three games in the opening round? That was the, the fewest of all time, I think, here at the yeah, US Open. Crazy. I think I saw. It was crazy. All right, how about this? Lauren Davis, who knows how to knock out seed. She beat Angie Kerber at Wimbledon first round. Takes on Ash Barty, the number two seed, who, again, was shaking a little bit in the opening round, Lynn. She was. I love how she was able to get it back after that first set. Your first match on Arthur Ashe of the year and that first set, she was out of it. But she has a lot of options. She figured out how to get through against Diaz. And here, now she plays Lauren Davis. Lauren Davis is going to try and make Ash Barty hit a lot of balls, try and get a lot of balls up high on Barty, yeah. try and get into some longer rallies. This match is really 
in Barty's hands. How she dictates with her forehand and her serve. Her service percentage was very low in that first round match. That's got to come up for her long-term success here. It's 25% in the opening set until she got herself going. That's not a great number. No. Really good with math, but <laughs> not a great number. And the thing about Ash Barty, which is so much fun, is all the different weapons that she has. She can come in, finish at the net. She can use that serve smart. I think if the percentage is low, she's got to go to some kick serves first. Look, Lauren is a great counterpuncher, moves extremely well, but it is about Ash Barty. She's the one with more weapons, more uh, ways to finish the point. And again, that rebound after the first set the other day to me was very encouraging. Her mindset is very stable. She doesn't panic, and she just stays in the moment extremely well. Right. So she might not necessarily have this in the bag. We're going to have a look at what is, in fact, in Ash Barty's bag with bag check. That's coming up a little <laughs> later on. In the meantime, look at all of these great champions. Ash Barty looking for her second major of the year, so she gets one of those posters. Well, there's Cleveland's Lauren Davis showing up for an early hit. Wins a match here for the first time in three years. She's going to play world number two, Ash Barty, 7 p.m. on Armstrong. Lauren, one of 12 American women to win their first round matches. We want to give some dap to a couple of other Americans who pulled off upsets wow. yesterday. LD, how about Christy Ahn over Kuznetsova? I love that story of Christy Ahn, who's played her best tennis all summer long. She first played here 11 years ago, gets her first win here at the Open. And how about a former U.S. Open champion as well? Kuznetsova played great in Cincinnati, but Christiane, what a win. Christiane, when she played here as a teenager, she lost in 2008 to Dinara Safina. Oh my and now goodness. she is back. She came through on that wild card from the USDA because she had such a strong summer. That is nice to see 27-year-old native. This is a home game for Christiane. And we dap Tennis Sandgren as well, coming yep. back from two sets to love down to beat Joe Wilfried Sanga. How about another young American with a big moment tonight? 17-year-old Katie McNally, the Cincinnati native, made her U.S. Open debut and made it a winning one against the Swiss veteran. And now she gets to take on Serena Williams on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Charles Schwab is going to bring us uh, Katie's attempt to own her tomorrow. Lindsay, what a moment for the teenager. Yeah, I, this is exactly what you dream about when you're a young player learning how to play, get to the U.S. Open. How about win a match and play one of the greatest of all times? I think it's a fantastic opportunity for Katie McNally, who is in this group of players, these junior players that are so good. She's been overshadowed by Coco totally. Goff, rightfully so, this summer. But she's a baller. She knows how to play. She works very, very hard. And what an opportunity, what an experience for her to get that opportunity under the lights on Ash against Serena. It's been a very nice summer, Katie McNally beating Baczynski is a nice win. I wonder if that isn't a disguised blessing. You mentioned the word group. There is this cluster of young Americans that are all together. This is the doubles from D.C. And you'll note her partner. They are playing together here as well. That's a title. This is all part of the growth process. We talked earlier in the show about... Felix and Denis Shapovalov. I wonder if it isn't really a blessing that Coco Boff and McNally have each other to sort of come up through the system with. All right, here's the file on Katie McNally. As you get to know her, she is one of five American teens in the top 200. Could get into the top 100 by the time this tournament is over. She won a couple of U.S. Open, uh, Grand Slam junior titles with Coco Goff. Yeah, I love that they get along so well. You know, you love to see two players coming up. They're going to challenge each other. They're going to be rivals, but they get along well. And top 100, by the way, that's a big benchmark. You get into the top 100, you know you're going to get into the main draw of majors. For a lot of players, that's the uh, first goal. I want to get my ranking into the top 100. I don't want to have to play qualifying at the Grand Slams. 
she's well on her way to having that happen by Australia. And Katie is another young player who comes from a tennis family. Her mom, Lynn Neighbors, was a, a noted pro. And I guess this is the right time to ask, Lindsay, do you remember I, that oh, her mom, no. Lynn Neighbors, is the first player you ever beat at any professional tournament when you were 15 years old? I don't remember that. People have brought true. that up. My first tournament was in San Diego. Follies in I San Diego. I just turned 15, and I think maybe you brought that up. I don't remember. I have since seen her and met her. Wonderful family. You tennis, stick it in her face, family. right? No, I yeah. beat you that sounds I like 15. me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very I, I will have you know that Lynn Neighbors was a counselor at a tennis camp I went to in the Midwest as a kid. I didn't know you played her, but I, I, th I think that helps in this process as well, to have a parent who has been there playing Serena Williams on Arthur Ashe Stadium, New York, as a teenager. I mean, that is a monumental occasion. We'll have to see what sort of nerves present themselves here. But I, I think it helps to have a family member that's been through this. And a brother. That's Her right. brother is an excellent player. They've had each other growing up through right. junior tournaments and supporting each other. It's a good family. Welcome to Six Degrees of Lynn Neighbors here on <laughs> By the way, she's 101 in the live ranking, so she could be straight into Australia. We look forward to that match. Lots to get to on TC Live this morning. Ann Worcester, head of Universal Tennis, will stop by to tell us what's new with the UTR 1991 San Diego Qualies. We're going to find that video. Back on TC Live, do make sure that you make tennis.com. Oh, there are horses in Flushing Meadows Park this morning, thanks to the <laughs> New York's finest. Uh, tennis.com, your online source for all the information that you need to know during the Open, daily exclusive columns and videos and much more. Go to tennis.com. We are very pleased to be joined this morning by someone who has been a leader in our sport for several decades now, first as the CEO of the WTA, then as the longtime tournament director of the Connecticut Open, and now as the president of Universal Tennis and UTR and Worcester. Welcome back to TC Live. Thank you very much, Brett and Lindsay. It's great to be here. When I first started on tour, yeah. she was the CEO. I have, every since I entered pro tennis, I've been with Ann and so, so I got a lot of stories. Well, no, well, right, so we're not we, sharing No, no, them one. Today. Give, give us one. No, 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 no. Go. Is it embarrassing? Well, <laughs> she wa wasn't always the mature stateswoman like person she is Thank today. You. Okay, oh. let's move on. She had some let's emotions. Let's move on. I see. This <laughs> sounds like fair? something we'll discuss in the commercials <laughs> between you. now and the end of the show. But uh, seriously, uh, you're here for UTR. I think it's been about three months since Mark Leslie brought you on as the president of the company, fastest growing company in tennis. Tell us what's new on the business side. Well, there's a lot that's new. Um, you know, at Universal Tennis, we believe that in tennis as in life, it's not about who you are or where you come from or your gender or your age or your socioeconomic background. It's really about um, the, the passion and the love of this sport. So that's why we are constantly coming up with new ways to spread the word about level-based play and to get more people playing tennis. So since we last spoke, we um, have a bunch of new things that we're doing. Number one, we came out with a new uh, mobile app, which is um, available in the App Store right now to, for, to download. It's already been downloaded in more than 75 countries. Secondly, we have all USTA results on our platform. So if you've played any USTA match, any USTA tennis anywhere, you're already, you already have a profile. So all you need to do is go on myutr.com and download your profile for free. And while you're at it, in addition to that free rating, you can also message other players to find, um, to find play. You can find events near you. You can post your score. You can post photos like you do on social media. Um, and again, all of that is for free. Um, and finally, we are rolling out all of our technology solutions in local communities. 
to high, every high school, college, league, club, to connect players at the same level in local communities. We call it the tennis ecosystem. Okay, so I live in the junior tennis world with my son, and I can tell you that there's two things, video games and UTR, and all these <laughs> players are obsessed with it all. Can you talk a little bit about what goes into the algorithms of, of finding the UTR for players? Yes, um, thanks to my very smart and patient dev team back in Palo Alto, I can explain. Um, so the algorithm is a rating of 1 to 16, and it's from the very beginner all the way to Novak Djokovic. And it takes into, it takes in, into consideration three things. The strength of your opponent, the percentage of games that you won, not just win or lose, and history. So your last 30 matches over the past year. So it's much more accurate and reflective than the ATP or the WTA ranking at the very top of the game in pro tennis. And so it really helps recreational players, adult and juniors alike, to know where they stand and who they want to go out and play with. And I know you guys have a new graphic representation of a player's UTR. And if you're accustomed to looking at the stock ticker and following stock prices, this will look very familiar for you. This is Sophia Kennan's UTR in her last 30 matches. Absolutely. She's um, definitely on a hot streak this, this summer, she's coming into the U.S. Open. Um, she's won 66% of her matches, the last 30 matches, 20 and 10. That's um, very, very good. So on the stock ticker, the red dots are wins and the grays are losses. And so you can see that her um, UTR, she's trending upwards slowly but surely. She's gone from 13 to 13.23 UTR. Did very well in the first round here, and um, looks it looks to be that we'll be hearing more from Sonia Cannon. Yeah, it's great to see her best win is in August. Her worst losses has been in late May. So I love to follow this. Oh, Riley Opelka is another player that we have tracked. He's another player that's trending upwards. Absolutely. So you can see, you know, his red dots above his trending is his UTR, which is trend, trending upwards. He's got a lot of very good um, wins above his UTR and very few of the gray dots losses below the UTR, which results in this upward trend. And um, happy that he got through his first round as well. You know, another group that uses UTR are college coaches and colleges for certain players. What has been the feedback from them about how UTR has impacted recruiting? It has changed the world. We are getting so much positive feedback from players and parents alike that UTR is the great equalizer in creating opportunities, especially for high school players who can't afford to go and play competitive junior tournaments. We're hearing from, um, from players who had to work at the convenience store on the weekends, couldn't play tournaments, that because their high school results count for UTR, they've been actively recruited by college coaches, and in some cases, resulting in a scholarship. We're hearing from single moms who could not afford to send their kids off to play in competitive um, junior tournaments that they're being actively re recruited and in some cases getting scholarships which really reduces the burden on the family and again speaks to how UTR is meeting its me mission of making tennis more affordable and accessible and of course fun because level base play is just more fun and congratulations on everything that's going on with UTR please stick around during the commercial so we can discuss those stories about I got a lot, <laughs> I got a lot of stories I'm out of here I love her. I'm out
out of here. Uh, Lindsay <laughs> will try you. to convince Anne to keep her mouth shut. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, as we look at Kiki Mladenovich in the workout room this morning, she beat Angie Kerber in the first round. We'll take on Fiona Farrow later today and more UTRs later in the show, including Coco Golf. Stay with us. Over on court 16 yesterday, that's Francis Tiapo Amulet, who had that great run to the quarters of the Australian Open, taking on 40-year-old Ivo Karlovich. And we know how good, how tough Karlovich can be with his serve. But, boy, Tiafo looked pretty good, didn't he? And, and this poor guy, yeah. back issues you did not even 40. allow. <laughs> Ivo Karlovich to finish, John. You, you turned 40 years old, and uh, you've got to be careful, but uh, compromised Ivo Karlovich. Uh, Francis played well, didn't have to go the distance. You see, that is not Ivo That is Karlovich's not a standard serve. Karlovich serve, is it? No, it's not. And uh, Francis gets through. Um, he didn't get a full match in. Pity for uh, for Ivo Karlovich at age 40. Next. Yep. Sasha Zverev. So, yeah. uh, what do we think of that? That's up. not bad. Back at the Rocket Desk with Jim and yeah. Paul. Tiafo's form can be described right now as? It's been up and down. Right. Um, he and his coach, Zach Evanen, have, have brought in our own James Blake to help them here in the lead up to this tournament, give them just another outside opinion. Uh, so, good start for that one. Going to have to elevate for sure against another player whose form has been a bit erratic in Sasha Zverev this summer. Yeah, no kidding. Zverev able to get through in five. How about John Isner? How should he feel as uh, he makes his way into the Billie Jean King USGA National Tennis Center, Paul? Well, first thing he needs to do is duck when he walks through the metal detectors when he comes in. That's the first thing. But I'll tell you what, yesterday was very impressive. Whenever John Isner can find a match where he can get through pretty comfortably. He's doing well. Big, powerful ground strokes. We know that that serve is always like a laser beam, able to hit every target, able to move the ball around. Garcia Lopez gives him plenty of court position. So there, John able to use just a nice little field drop shot that gives him a wry smile. You don't see a lot of those from Isner, but a very comprehensive match. And when he's comfortable and playing big, aggressive ground strokes and short points, he is tough to deal with. You can see that that meant a lot to him. John has had a, a tricky summer, hasn't gotten the matches that he wanted on the hard courts. And he's got a tough one coming up against Jan Lennard Struff, who's a big hitting German, so that will not be easy. Dominic Team has been feeling ill. He was not prepared against this guy. Fabiano, the Italian, can poke holes in any kind of draw. Team said, I got very, very tired and exhausted after two sets. I'm far from 100%, John. But he was one of the big the big seeds here. Boy, yeah, is he got this. This was mystifying, and he just had nothing left. Fabiano made him hit a lot of balls. Five foot eight inch Thomas Fabiano beat Tsitsipas at Wimbledon. Riley Opelka in Australia. Team yesterday, literally a, a giant killer. But um, Dominic Team, that's mystifying. You guys remember that two years ago he lost that heartbreaker to Del Potro. Last year, a heartbreaker to Nadal in the quarterfinals. And then a first round exit. That is uh, a lot of accumulated scar tissue. This is an interesting slam season here, runner-up in Roland Garros, but not much at the other three guys. Yeah, you know, he achieved a childhood dream this summer by winning his home tournament in Kitzbühel, but that was also where his brother was sick, and that got him ill, and he's been playing on fumes ever since, so actually not that surprising that Fabiano, who beat Tsitsipas at you know, Wimbledon in the first round, not afraid of the big scalp, he was there and ready, and team was there for the taking. Speaking of CC Paz, Paul Anacone, what about this match?
He played against Andre Rublev yesterday. I'll tell you what, Rublev has really had a resurgence. He had a hiccup since losing in the semifinals of Washington, D.C. last summer. In 2018, had match points and lost in the semifinals, then had quite a lull. But boy, is he coming into his own. Yesterday, power ground. He pass started cramping uh, in the third set, actually. And beginning of the fourth got really bad. But Rublev played great power groundies, uh, getting some treatment there from the trainers. I really was impressed with uh, Rublev's ability to stay composed. Lost a tough second set. Tie break went nowhere, stayed up on that baseline. And man, when he is dictating play from the back of the court, very tough to deal with. He was terrific, and he's a lot of fun to watch. But Tsitsipas says he still has not gotten over that five-set loss at the French Open to Stan Bobrinka, and it's been showing up for the re uh, first round. Wimby, now he's out here, and that means that this thing has certainly gotten very unpredictable. This is uh, Rafa Nadal's half right here, and he is waltzing through. But Tsitsipas, uh, who, remember, had the semifinal appearance in the previous hardcourt major in Australia, beating Federer along the way, he has really tailed off. And that's funny. He mentioned that match again, that heartbreaker against Stan Bavrinka, classic match at the French Open. 90 days ago. I mean, that's a lot of time to have a match linger for uh, for a young player. But Rublev beat Roger Federer in Cincinnati, and then a big scalp yesterday with Sitsipas. That's two very quality wins in the span of about two weeks for Rublev. Watch for him in the draw. Yeah, bottom half of the draw where Rafa sits. We lost another seed. Hatchinoff, the nine seed, went out yesterday. But there's still a lot of danger lurking for Rafa. Uh, that top half of that bottom section is certainly a, an area of opportunity. But we still have Verdasco. That, that's a guy who's beaten Nadal on a hardcore a major in Australia in recent times. Isner, he's always tricky. Chilich, so in Sasha Zverev. It's not going to be a cakewalk for Nadal. He's not in that third quarter. He's in the fourth where it's still a little bit thick as thieves. It was pretty funny, though, that Rafa did not know that four seeds had dropped out of his section. He had to be told in the press conference after his brilliant match. All right, we are going to take a break. That is Kiki Mladenovic working out, not exactly spinning her wheels down there. She beat Angie Kerber. She next plays Fiona Farrell. Keep an eye on the French woman, John. Keep an eye on her as well. Now she's with Sasha Bain. This is interesting, uh, interesting band work here. Bands have become very voguish, uh, I've noticed. <laughs> as in musical bands? Yeah, exactly. Everybody's kind of band. band. Musical I'm bands? With the, I'm with the band. She's watching? She's got to represent for the family now that her boyfriend, Dominic, team's out. She's, uh, go. she's got to hold it up for her. <laughs> Take a break. Back at Tennis Channel Live, he won it again last year. Novak Djokovic, he is the best hardcore tennis player in the world. He's won four of the last five majors, and he's looking pretty well today. Back at the Rocky desk with these guys. Nadal looked amazing, amazing last night in his win. The only other guy I think I'm putting in that department is Novak Djokovic. Yeah. Agree? Yeah. I mean, he was rock solid against Carbias Baena, who's not a guy who can necessarily challenge him. And he's kind of got a similar setup today against Londero. Another guy with not a lot of pop on his serve, not a lot of weapons to threaten him. And Novak was never really touched in this match. Just really solid. All did everything he needed to do. No excessive risk. Just high percentage Novak tennis. Expect more of that today. And expect him to get through comfortably. Juan Ignacio Londero, he's in for... <laughs> this Look is new. 
This is the. Is he trying the, to land a plane? That was yeah. He had Yeah, exactly. Down the street. <laughs> Mayor Dinkins couldn't help. And we've got uh, Novak doing air traffic control. He's now unionized. Um, Londero's had a nice year in beach Sam Query, which yep. could have been a much trickier night match. But I think it helps Djokovic in a lot of ways have an opponent like that, a guy who's not going to hit through him, a 154-pound opponent. But also, he knows when he is going to play. There's now a roof. He can set his day. He can set his schedule. I think sometimes we forget that. These seats have a real advantage knowing when and where they are playing. You like his section of the draw, Paul? Look, whenever Novak Djokovic is in a section, I like Novak Djokovic's <laughs> Fair section. Enough. You know, he's got so much game. He's so confident right now. And and I think the Londero match today is one that sets up exactly like Jim said. It's up to Novak. And here, there's a guy that's beaten him with a little Swiss flag down here. here. He beat him here and uh, in a very big match. So Stan Bobrinka in there. Uh, uh, Dusan Lajovic is very talented to play Dennis Kudla today. I hope we get to see a Vavrinka Djokovic match here. And if we extended that, we would see that in the quarterfinals he could play Daniil Medvedev, who's beaten him twice this year, including in Cincinnati. But no, I think Novak, as you say, got off to a great start, and you have to like how he's looking so far. All right, how about this one coming up today? Dimitrov and Shorich. Jim, I want to say something about this one. You, you, you do you, Paul. You, you and I the other day had a little section uh, in Coach's Corner talking yes. about Grigor Dimitrov and his hiccups. Today is a great opportunity for us to see what he can really do. Borna Chorch is a terrific player just inside the top 15 in the world. Grigor Dimitrov has a lot of weapons. This is a match where he's going to have to use those weapons the right way. If he doesn't, his struggles will continue, but it'll be a great barometer to see if, number one, he can do what Jim Courier said, which is start to hit his spots on his second serve, and then do what I said, which is get inside the baseline and try to dictate uh, the rallies. If he doesn't do that, it's going to be a long day, so I'm very interested to see how he reacts after our great coaching segment. <laughs> well, your, your great segment. I just weighed in. <laughs> Listen, I think one thing that Dimitrov also needs to be mindful of, Chorch is a player who can play some clutch ball, but he also can be a little up and down within the rhythms of a match. He can give away some points, some games, and even some sets. So if you're opportunistic in your Dimitrov, you might be able to steal a couple things just because Chorch can sometimes take his eye off the ball. Right. What about his section of the draw? What Do you, do you like this, this part of... Uh... We're talking. Right. I mean, it, it's fun. Dimitrov is the 78th ranked player in the world. So I don't know. Do we, do we call this Chorich's section of the draw? We forget Chorich only 22 years old. But it's a big opportunity. I don't think you should skip the Kanish. Let's uh, the, the Kanish look good, and now gets the lefty. The Bradley Klon, who do you like? The How about the, the Klon? Yeah. <laughs> How about the battle of the young guns, Garin and Demonar? Yeah. That is going to be a ton of fun. Two great movers, two great counterpunchers. And let's not put those guys on the back burner. I would not be surprised to see them both get. Uh, actually, they both can't win, can no, they? No, they can't. Okay, so Paul, one of those guys <laughs> get further out in the draw. We really know our stuff. <laughs> it's, just, it's a pleasure to so be So, wait, here. if you play to one guy, you both can't win that match? Is that how it works? Oh. I. Oh to Mary. She's our expert on the panel. We're going to take a break, <laughs> just for Paul's sake. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Simona Halep, the Wimbledon champion. Here comes Carolina oh, Pliskova. The Nish to the Plish. From the Kanish. We got the Plish. It's all happening on DC Live. Good news. You can find the Top Tennis Podcast in just one place with the new Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis dot com slash podcast today you can listen or download episodes from your preferred podcast provider very handy all right over on the grandstand 29 year old Ali Riss the original 
Tennis Channel, friend of the show, <laughs> taking on the former number one, the Spaniard Garbina Muguruza kids. John, terrific stuff from Ali Risk. I'm getting very concerned about Muguruza. I think you're right. This is a glass full half empty. Look at the score right there. Muguruza won the first set 6-2. She's a two-time major champion. She's going to win. And then Ali Risk turns it on. And now look at the score line. 6-1 in the last set was 6-2. Allie Risk has had a very nice summer, not even mentioning her nuptials. Exactly. A second week showing at Wimbledon, won a title, and here she played a very nice U.S. Open first-round match against a tough opponent. We can talk about what is happening to Muguruza, but let's also dwell on Allie Risk, who's at a career-high ranking now. Great stuff for Allie. I mean, she's, as you said, she's having a very good summer. Tennis Channel is also having a very good summer, and over at NASDAQ downtown in New York, this morning, Bill Simon, the chief financial officer, along with Martina Navratilova and James Blair. <laughs> Whoa, watch there that. we go. Quick hands. What looked like a game show? <laughs> what did they win? Ticker tape. They win an inverted yield curve. <laughs> Congratulations to all. Maybe Martina will bring some I, I, here to the set. Can I just say, is it fair? Because we all do a lot of early morning television with Martina. She's not usually that alert when she shows up. <laughs> how happy she is downtown. James looks like he's into it. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's kind of nice. Good day on the market. That's what I see coming. <laughs> all, right. all right. Simona Hallop, 56 minutes it took her to beat Serena Williams for her first Wimbledon champion, championship. How did, what are we thinking about how on hard courts? Uh, uh, look, she's terrific on everything. I think we saw at Wimbledon what she could do under pressure. Now she's trying to regain her momentum. Played some tremendous tennis uh, winning that first set. But I got to say, this is a winner playing a winner. Gibsy coming back from her fight with cancer this spring, playing some great tennis. Seeing her on the court playing a match like this, so physical, rebounding. Nicole Gibbs did a terrific job in the second set. And Simona Halep being the champion that she is, Lindsay didn't blink. Great no, third set. She didn't. And Nicole Gibbs would have beaten a lot of players yesterday. Unfortunately for her, she took on one of the best in Simona Halep. But a lot of good things for both these players. So that was nice stuff from Simona Halep to get through. How about this one, Lynn? Vika the Shrika and Arena Sabalenka, Warrior Princess. One of my favorite matches so far of this year's U.S. Open. These two were going after it, both from Belarus, but they were bringing all the energy out here, all the grunts as well. And it was Sabalenka who was down early in this match. She fought back in the second set. Azarenka was up a break in the third set, and you thought, okay, maybe she'll take control, but... One of the best wins for Sabalenka in the last few months in how she had to fight her way through this match. Played some of the best tennis I've seen from her in, in maybe a year. I was going to say, uh, she's the only woman to get a set off of Sloan's, uh, off of uh, the winner here. Yeah, Osaka last year, and she played that kind of tennis. She had that intensity uh, yet last sure night. It was great to see that back. Wow. So the warrior princess comes through. How about this one, Lindsay? One of our favorite tennis names, Katie Volley Nets, the girls' 18 <laughs> national championships winner. Again, another tough draw for one of the Americans, taking on Bianca Andreescu, one of the favorites to win this title. So fun watching Andreescu play and how she was using all her shots in this matchup. But I like the way Volley Nets played this match. It was tight in that second set. She had a few chances. 
but a good showing for the American. It was also tight on this outside court. You can't keep putting Andrescu exactly. on these outer courts, can you, John? Lindsay said favorite, and I think you're absolutely right. Andrescu just having one in Toronto, 39 and four on the year. She is absolutely a contender. That is a very small court for a uh, contender from North America. Andrescu, maybe not her best day at the office. Very nice effort from Volinets in her debut, but keep an eye on Andrescu. She is not going to be playing on those back courts much longer. It's interesting to watch Andrescu play. You know, we've seen her battle with some injuries this year. When she's competent, she's comfortable. Um, she can be so offensive. Uh, Lindsay, I was a little surprised to see her. She's in the doubles as well, I think. I think trying to get more reps. I, I get a little concerned. We were half joking about the outside courts. You want to win this title, you got to learn to play on Arthur Ashe. It's, there's no other court like it in tennis. I hope she gets a match or two in there before a really, big really match. big match. I'm not sure about the doubles. I'm not sure if that's the right call for a young player who is susceptible to injuries. We'll have to see physically how she holds up this tournament. Yeah, that is a very good point from both of you. All right, we're going to take... Once in a while. Once in a while. <laughs> Once in a blue moon. It's an upset. Broken clock. <laughs> it's not an upset. I'm just kidding. We're going to take another break. If you are of a certain age, you remember this guy. 40 years ago, two kids from Queens played for the U.S. championship. We remember Vitas Garolinas' life and especially his heart. Vitas Garolinas was born and raised not far from here at all. This is Flushing Meadows, Queens. He was born in Howard Beach. And boy, he loved being a New Yorker. He also loved this sport. There's very few people that resonate outside what they do in life, and, and Vetus is one of them, um, what they do for a profession. And I, I remember as a kid when I came on tour, I lost six weeks in a row last round of qualifying. How old were you? I was uh, 21, I believe. And I went over to Europe. I qualified in Basel, Switzerland. As a little punk kid, got to the quarterfinals, played one of my idols, Vetus Garolitis, who was ranked eight in the world. Lost 7-6 in the third. And I remember sitting in the locker room afterwards being really despondent and just had my head down. And he comes up and sits down next to me and talks to me for like 10 minutes. Totally encouraging, fellow New Yorker, you're doing great. You just broke this six, six weeks run in a row last round of qualifying. From that day forward, everywhere I went, all he did was try to help me every time I talked to him. Talk about big hearts, talk about lively spirits, talked about relentless optimism. He epitomized all those things. Um, and to this day, he is so sorely missed. I love that story, Paul, because that, that's just how I remember Vitas Garolitis. And keep in mind, when Vitas lost to John here in the championship match at the U.S. Open 40 years ago, later that night, Vitas called up John and said, all right, where are we going tonight? <laughs> Vitas wanted to help John celebrate beating him. Um, Sparrow thought for Vitas Garolitis. We're going to take a break. Come back a lot more Tennis Channel Live ahead. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Well, it's hard to top the summer Daniil Medvedev has been having. Three consecutive finals in the lead-up to the U.S. Open, and now the 23-year-old Russian is up to number five in the world. Paul introduces us to the man pushing the buttons for Medvedev. It's Coaching in the Bigs, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. Welcome to another segment of Coaching in the Bigs. I want to thank Jill Cervara for coming by to see me today. Paul, thank you. It's been a very busy summer for you. Daniel Medvedev has been on fire. About 18 months ago, he's 65 in the world. 
Now he's five in the world with five titles. This is a new landscape, a new expectation internally and externally. Do you speak about that with him? Yes, we spoke about this uh, quick after the Cincinnati's final to save uh, energy for this tournament. The most important thing is to, to practice good and to be good on the court. Well, whatever you do and don't change it, things are going yeah. pretty well, right? <laughs> What kind of coach do you uh, see yourself as? What do you emphasize? First of all, I will say that my philosophy is to start from the player. I feel Daniel uh, as a pilot, you know, he, he drives uh, the car and uh, he knows to drive better than me. So I make him confident about his uh, skills, mm -hmm. about his feeling mm -hmm. uh, in the court. So one of the things to me that's most impressive about Daniel is he's one of the few players that has a winning record against top 10 guys. He's won six of 11 matches against top 10 players. Why haven't the younger guys been more successful beating the big three at these big events? First of all, I want to say that these big three, uh, I would like them to stay at this top yeah, more and too. more. You me know too. what? Good because, for the game. Yeah, it's good for the game and it's also good for young people, uh, young players to push them to work and to increase their level. These three players, you know, it's like they, they, they have the, the good mentality to, to, to improve. Uh, they have the good philosophy in their sport and in their life. Do you think most of the young players still look at them as these legends, which they are, and maybe in the major events feel three out of five sets? Maybe, pop. but maybe not. I think the, the young players want also to to beat them and uh, step by step because some young players beat them also yep, sometimes. Yep, so yep. it gives ideas, you know, like, uh, okay, I can do it also. Tsitsipas did it. Yeah. Team against Novak at Roland yes. Garros. Yeah. The problem is, is that now you have to beat two or three to win a major. It's because you have this uh, adversity that it asks you to, to push you over your limit right. and you pass your limit. Yeah. That's life also. And then it's a new beginning. Yeah. A new, a new belief. Yeah. So, how much of the time do you guys focus, because he's so young still, Dan, Daniel, 23, do you focus on the physical part? And how do you do that on the road? Me, my job as a trainer and uh, our team, it's to push him and to change, because if it becomes too much a routine, then you don't increase your level also. Thank you so much for the time. You guys are doing a great job. Thank it's you. been fun to watch, and always a treat to hear some new ideas. So thank you, my thank friend. You, Good Paul. luck. Huh? Thank you. Thanks thank a you lot. So it was a pleasure and an honor for me to talk no, with thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. How about this for the last 12 months for Daniil Medvedev? Four titles, breaks into the top 10, 70 match wins in a 12-month run. He's played 95. That, that's a lot of playing and a lot of winning, guys. He, he doesn't sit around much. And <laughs> I tell you what, it has been a meteoric rise to the top at number five in the world. And for me, that was a really fun 20 minutes or so talking with Gilles Servara. Just a very interesting, introspective guy. Understands how to coach. I love the phrase that he said, Daniel's the, he's the pilot. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is in an individual sport, you need to say what you want to say the way the player needs to hear it. And he's done a great job navigating that landscape all the way from outside the top 100 to number five in the world. Now it's a new beginning, so it's going to be exciting times. Yeah, and he has some points to defend this fall. He won the Tokyo 500 series event last year. So sort of the, the defense, if you will, is starting kind of now. But boy, has he managed his game well. And Gilles, 
must do a great job with the scouting reports as well because so much of Daniel's success is predicating on exploiting weaknesses of players and putting them in awkward positions and making players beat themselves as opposed to just flat out overpowering them. But it's interesting when he plays the top guys, they go into a different gear and he tends to be more of a slash and burner because he knows he can't, there's nothing really to exploit there. So they're doing some tremendous work together and it's gonna be interesting to see how players who have been around that ranking like Tsitsipas now respond to Daniel being kind of the guy of their generation up there. What about the miles on the odometer over the last 12 months and, and over the last month specifically? The good news is he's made all these finals in a row. The bad news is it's probably, I would think, depleted his gas tank heading into a major here, guys. Is there any concern there? Well, I'm, for me, you always wonder how well you balance it. And I talked to Gilles about it, and he said, look, we took a few days off after winning Cincinnati. But he feels pretty good, and, and he feels at 23 years of age, they're going to have some work done last week. And guess what? He won relatively comfortably in the first round, plays again today. So if he can get through some matches without spending a lot of energy, bonus. And style matters. We, we've <laughs> talked a lot over the past three, four seasons about Dominic team and how much he plays in the beginning of the season. And he plays a very physical game, very different style than Daniel Medvedev, who's a lot looser limbed and, and seems to expend less energy per shot. So style does matter. If you can get a few holes in the schedule to just get mentally fresh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of physical wear and tear on Daniel thus far. All right, uh, we'll see if he's got gas in the tank today. He will take on Hugo Delian, second on grandstand in a second round match here at the Open. Lots more to come on our pregame coverage on this Wednesday, including the seven train rumbling into the station to break down our big day three storylines. Coach's Corner will be open for business as the squad has some suggestions for Luca Pui today. And John will have a stat of the day that points out a rare development with recent Grand Slam champions on the women's side. That and more coming your way in the final hour of the show. Karolina Pliskova has made the final here three years ago. She's going to get some stretching in before her second rounder against the Georgian qualifier Bolkvadza. That's later today. Back on Tennis Channel Live on this Wednesday. Second round begins today. It'll be the bottom half of the women's draw, the top half of the men's draw. As folks file in, a couple of umbrellas out as we rejoin you from the Rocket Tennis Channel desk. The celebrities continue to come out in force. First week of the U.S. Open. Let's show you the stars in the stands from last night, courtesy of People Magazine and the new TV show Extra Extra. Starting with Gladys Knight, uh, I do not believe any pips are present, but she's a huge tennis fan. I thought she'd be here for the Basilis Billy match. I, Didn't I train to Georgia? Hey! Huh? Huh? Week. Try different, the veal. Different Georgia. No, she comes every year, though. <laughs> nice to see her again. She joined Excellent. us on Tennis Channel Live at Indian Wells a couple of years ago. She knows she her did. tennis. I Excellent. wasn't ready for that I one. Appreciate that. I, don't I think, love that song. I'll think of it differently <laughs> forever now. I don't think it was the Republic of Georgia that she was singing about. Spike Maybe. is in the house. Spike was here for the Serena Sharapova match, and he's at Another New York guy. Yeah, he could probably practically ride his bike here. We've seen him in the front row of Knicks games. Good to see him uh, at the tennis as well. All, All right. The Jordan, uh, look at that. Fashion right. Week is coming up in New York City. Uh, noted fashion, not just for wedding dresses. Vera Wang is uh, here. Who did Fashion name? royalty. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember she designed Mary Jo Fernandez's wedding gown. It was beautiful. Uh, We're coming up on almost 20 years, but she's done for Mary Jo and Tony, that is, <laughs> and their wedding. But 
fantastic I, to see all these stars. Can I throw out something totally unsubstantiated? Was she not here for Rafa Nadal's match? Who has uh, Oh, look at you trying to put those pieces up. together. I'm just trying to do some sleuthing. I got nothing here. He could certainly <laughs> he could certainly afford it, uh, and we know that. Uh, if you'd like to check out more stars in the stands, go to people.com and make sure you check out the premiere of Extra Extra on Fox with host Billy Bush. That starts on September the 9th. All right, we had Ann Worcester here earlier in the show. We're going to use the UTR to look at a couple of other matches, starting with Venus and Svitolina. Lindsay, what does the UTR tell us about this one? Yeah, definitely trending towards Svitolina's favor. They also played at the French Open a few months ago with Svitolina 1. But for Venus, huge momentum that she was able to get in Cincinnati in taking out Kiki Burton's. I, I think it, let's see if this roof stays closed later yeah. in the day. That could really help Venus in that match. She's going to have to be aggressive, and physically she's going to have to be 100%. I wonder if UTR also accounts for a 6-1-6 love win in your first match that Venus had. That's some momentum for you. Can we just quick point on Svitolina? Just sort of growing up before our eyes. This is her 28th straight major. Wow. Talk about her not long ago as an up-and-coming prospect. Seven straight years of playing in all four majors. Never been past the round of 16 here yeah. in New York, but she is coming off her best Grand Slam results, semifinals at Wimbledon. Maybe that, that step a little bit further at Wimbledon, maybe that'll give her some an extra boost here. And both halves of uh, Gem Life have made it to round two <laughs> as Monfils advanced as well. Uh, let's look at a men's match with the UTR. We will choose Alex Dimonor of Australia, Christian Garin of Chile. This, according to the UTR guy, is going to be very close. Yeah, look at that. Look uh, at the UTR. Look how close they are. Only six spots separate them in the rankings. Three-month UTR, though, to Dimonor against Garin, who's had a very nice 2019. That's an interesting match, and that's one that a tennis purist will go out to that court and watch. Those are not necessarily two marquee stars, but those are two up-and-coming players. I think Demonar on this surface and with the wins that he's gotten this summer, a little bit of a favorite. I tend to look at the three-month UTR over the last 12 months. It trends in Demonar's favor. How about uh, a hat tip to Tennis Australia? You hat tipped the USTA earlier. Kyrgios wins, Kokonakis wins, Poprin wins. Demonor is playing in the second round. They've got some good stuff going on. Well, you know, Kapo and Ash Barty, uh, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say they also have a, a major winner already this year. Remember, they had the reciprocal wild card this year. Kokonakis gets it, who's outside the top 200, had a lot of injury problems, and he won his first match. That was nice to see. Gets Rafa next. Yeah, Stoser got the reciprocal on the women's side. She went out in the first round. Wondered how much more we'll see of her. We've got Ash Barty. Hopefully, she's inspiring the next generation down under, like in the United States. Yeah, Sam Stozer is one of those players that we're asking that question about how much longer. Yeah. Stozer, Azarenka, Sharapova, all great champions in that category. We'll take a break here, come back with Coach's Corner. The gang has got some thoughts for Luca Pui. We will hear those thoughts when TC Live continues. Time now for the Coach's Corner, kids. And these are the cornered coaches, <laughs> Orlando Cohen and Jim Courier. We are going to try to fix Luca Pui because we saw just what he could do, especially on hard courts, Jim, getting to the semifinals of this year's Australian Open, taking on Amelie Moresmo as a coach. And then what exactly happened to his season? Well, look, after he made the semifinals in Australia, he went on a pretty tough tear. He lost five consecutive first-round matches before deciding to dip back down to the challenger level where he would win five matches in Bordeaux and sort of reset 
going into the, the season of the next majors, but it's not been smooth sailing for him since then. He did have a good result getting to the quarterfinals of Cincinnati to build a little momentum here, but for a guy who made the semis of Australia where you get so many points, your ranking peaks at 17. He's now back at 27 in the rankings. It's been a little bit bumpy to say the least. Was it was it the outlier that he got to the semis or or that or is he kind of a top 20 guy and and what what do we what do we what can we ask from this man. Well look it's been about 16 months since he was at his best ranking at 10 in the world so we all have talked about him for a long time about being at the top of the game. I don't think it was an outlier that he got to the semis of Australia. I think he's another one of these guys that has a lot of different ways to play and there you see the aggressive return to serve and then coming forward after that's Pui up at the net putting the overhead. And here once again an aggressive return to serve you would think OK that's the way he should be playing tennis return aggressively and then get to the net. It's been kind of a stumbling block because that actually doesn't work for him when he got to 10 the world he was doing things differently Jim. Well, there was a lot more variation a lot more really recognizing what the opponent was giving not many players are, are static with their return position even Rafael Nadal who stands so far back he toggles you know three five feet based on what kind of serve is coming at him and Lucas Puy at his best showed a lot of that same variation in 2017 Paul when he was at his apex look at all the different return hit points for second serves only and, uh, and on a hard court a second serve in 2018 still more variation that's when he was 10 in the world and this year look how single minded he has been he's become a little too rigid it would appear strategically and maybe less aware of what his opposition is offering and that's probably not served him very well. Yes again it's one of those guys with a lot of tools in the toolkit and when he goes back and looks at themes like this like I'm sure he will with Amelie Moresmo his coach is you find successful recipes right and you would think offense is good for his game but again because he's got great footwork he starts off back sometimes and then as long as he gets forward once he hits the return that's when he's successful so I think it's a live and learn a young guy with a lot of yeah. pressure once he reached that ranking but so much talent. So much talent, and he's with Amelie Marismo. She knows her onions. I mean, this could be, this should really count, right? Should be good. I mean, who, who knows what information he is taking on board? It's up to the player to take information in and actually put it into play. But the numbers are pretty clear. He's breaking at a far lower rate this season than yeah. he has in the past, and and that kind of hard information should cause an awakening of why. And start to ask those questions and problem solve and in the way that Paul Anacon has done wonderfully here with his, his research with our team. Yeah, no, and I tell you, Amelie Moresmo, I got to speak with her briefly in Australia this year just about what they were trying to do. And, and Jim, as you mentioned it, a lot of it is just the collaboration between the player and the coach. It's not only uh, information distribution, it's about the receiving part of it and understanding what you're trying to do. And that takes time. Is he look, a good absorber? I, look, I think he's learning. And like I said, because he has a lot of ways he can play. It's uh, up to Amelie to figure out which buttons to press when and she's got a great tennis mind obviously one of you know just a tremendous player. Now it's about finding the interaction the messaging that he can latch on to. It's just triggers. It's triggers that get the player to think the right way. He plays the Brit Dan Evans today. I mean, we talk about this all the time under pressure on the big points. What do you want to see a guy like Luca Pui playing. What kind of what kind of shots 
what kind of rallies does he want to be creating against Dan Evans? Well, I think he's going to have to be very aware of what Dan's doing with him because Dan Evans can play the short, awkward slice a lot like yeah. Roger Federer can. So you have to take what your opponent is giving you. I mean, Lucas Pui wants to play offensive tennis, but he's going to need to be selective against Dan Evans' style. And, and on the second serve, Dan Evans, if he's going to serve in volley, which he might do, Standing back today may not be the option, but it's just about who you're playing and, and making those in-game decisions that, that seems like it needs to improve a little bit for Lucas Pui's results to improve as well. Yeah, the in-game decisions are vital, especially against a guy like Evans. Dan is such a great variety player. He does the things, like Jim mentioned, the short slices, can serve and volley, can make it very awkward and keep the ball out of your strike zone. But for Luca Pui, he's one of the few players that has so many skills. I don't think his rhythm should be challenged if he's clear about what he wants to do to kind of neutralize Evans' variety. Is he ever going to be one of those steady top ten guys, or is he going to be one of those flary French guys? Don't know. We've yeah. seen people change the course of their careers like Stan Wawrinka dramatically yeah, no in kidding. their late 20s. So you can't write people off in this era when they have more runway seemingly than, than other eras had. I, I, at least I think so. All right. What do you think? I, look, I, he showed us he can be top 10 player. And he did it at a very young age. So I think now it's about getting a little bit more mature to stabilize. And like Jim said, the runway has expanded for players, right? The 35 is a new 25, so he's got time. He's in great hands with Amelie Moresmo. He's a smart kid, loves to play. No reason things can't become a little more. Uh, Mary has the pen in her hand, Paul. Yeah. I think she wants to write him off. I really do. You think she's, she's starting to write things down? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not writing him off. I, he's such a nice man. We want to see Luca Pui do well. Luca Pui takes on the Brit, and here it comes. This Vera brother, that's Misha, the older one, the lefty serving volleyer. Misha Evan. Misha's Vera coming to work. Sasha's Vera had to go the distance, but was able to figure out a way to win his first round match in five sets yesterday. And look at that. Looks like the rain is starting to go away. That's good news. U.S. Open 2019 continues, and Paul, it's time for the John Wertheim stat of the day. What do you got for this us, be good. All right. Naomi Osaka, the pressure is on. Uh, it has been three years since a player has defended a major title. That was Serena Williams winning Wimbledon in 2015 and 2016. Since then, new winners coming around. No one defending successfully. That is the longest in the open era right now, a wow. tie for 12. If Osaka cannot defend, we will have a new streak. Seriously, though, we talk about the parody and the it's opportunity. just like in, in men's tennis. tennis. Exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, and we love this, right? The men's have predictability. The women's have a bit more of an open field. They complement each other well. But this is another illustration of the open field we talk about all the time. No player has successfully defeated a major since Serena Williams more than three years ago. A record almost. Impressive stuff. And we throw the cliches around. But uh, it is opportunity abound. And that would be interesting as a pressure build to see what happens. Okay, but here's the thing. Uh, so Naomi Osaka won the U.S. Open last year. Then she won the next major she played, the Australian Open. So it certainly seemed like she had real Grand Slam title traction. No, we thought that the vacuum was going to be filled. And Correct. she really announced herself. We were all so happy because this was a much more conventional yeah. final that she won. And since then, no titles. So wait, how are we, after watching her play her first round, what, what are we thinking? I think the biggest problem is we look at our legends and we expect that to be 
no, replicated. Yeah, exactly. There's no excuse not to do that. We look at the Serenas, the Rogers, the Rafas, the Novaks, and we're used to them winning multiples in a row and just being ready to go. It's not that easy. And I think Osaka's still so young. I think her game is there. She just needs to figure out how to manage the environment. And I still think she has to figure out the mental part of how to manage her game when she doesn't play well. Well, then, Lindsay well, said, John, uh, to, to Paul's point, Lindsay said earlier in the show that Naomi talked about never having been as nervous as she was in her first round, coming, walking out on that court trying to defend this title. Palpably, visibly nervous, yeah. and she confessed to that later. And I think to, to Paul's point, Naomi Osaka did not play a dazzling one-for-the-ages match, but she stole a set, then she lost a set, then she recovered and won a set. In a way, I wonder if that isn't a better first-round match thing. for her than 6-2, 6-2 in 58 minutes. I thought that was really impressive. How That could have been a really bad loss, and she salvaged it. All right. Want to have a look at some social media. That's what we're here for. <laughs> okay. Let's have a look. What do we got? All right. So Maria wow. announcing that she is going to be on Shark Week. She's never missed an episode. I've never watched an episode. So so what does it mean when she says, and now I'm going to be on the shark, shark. on the show as a shark? She, uh, you know, first we have Sean Spicer on Dancing with the Stars, and then we have Maria Sharapova on Shark Take. I cannot keep track of all of this crossover. Um, I count on you for that, though. The bigger concern for Maria Sharapova, uh, fortunately, is probably her ranking than whatever numbers she may accrue on the show because she now has a triple-digit ranking. But um, I guess we'll be seeing more of Maria on primetime television. Out of the top 125 now is Maria. But that, so that means that she, as a shark, is know. the I investor think... on this show. Not the one There's who's trying to sharks, not, not the one trying uh, to sell the product. All right, and what about this, John? You like this one? Uh, yeah, I did like this one, and you really see the spirit of, of camaraderie. Nicole Gibbs also, after losing yesterday to Simona Hobb, quickly tweeted, "Thanks for the battle." So these are two players who had a tremendous match on Louis Armstrong's three-set match, six-four to third, and the player who's defeated quickly picks up her phone as teenagers yeah. are wont to do <laughs> and uh, quickly congratulated the opponent. I thought that was a really nice touch. And by, by the way, Potapova's really good. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, she's exactly. really good. Right. I don't think enough has been oh, she's, made. She's only 18. I, I would say, oh, the veteran. She's way older than Exactly. Coco. Way older. Thanks. What do you think? When you watched Coco play last night, having dropped that opening set and recovering from it, Paul? Again, How much of a believer are you in this 15-year-old? I'm a huge believer, again, to see if the composure of a 15-year-old in this venue to come back after a very below average first set, find a way, then in the third set, have a big lead, get tight again, and then still find a way. Look, at 15 years of age, it is hard to grasp that chronological yeah. timeline and understand what she's doing uh, on this stage and for her to manage not only what she did at the All England Club to start here like this. I'll tell you what, I am so excited to watch her journey. High school sophomore. Let's just uh, <laughs> pause right there. She plays Tamea Babosh next and should she win that, she may well have a third rounder against our aforementioned defending champion, Naomi Osaka, that will, I think, reveal a great That sounds deal. like a night match if that I happens. I think so, yeah. yeah it could be Saturday <laughs> night match. All right, we're going to take another break. We've been talking a lot about the young kids. Kay Nishikori. Well, is Pushing closer to 30, but uh, he's played well, and he looks fit for this year's U.S. Open. Former finalists. Martina's here. I'm here. 
Way to make it for segment 19, champ. <laughs> market's up as Thank always. When Tennis Channel does the market, we were up 10 for 10. So I think 11 for 11 so far. She has a very good excuse for being tardy to work. She was with very the rest of the Tennis Channel team at the NASDAQ bell ringing. That shot by Curios, you know what impresses me more than anything is the slide. I mean, it's a forever slide. And, I, you know, they warn you about that thing going off. I jumped anyway. I mean, <laughs> I just I don't do well on surprises. Made rain. Look at that. All right. Uh, so you come in for the good part. It's match point. Everyone with a parting thought for the day. Jim, you want to lead us off? We talk a lot about return of serves on this show. I don't want to talk a little bit about return on investment today. The USDA has spent a lot of money to put roofs on two of the courts here. Today, they'll get a return on that. 75,000 fans will get uninterrupted play between the 23,000-plus seat Arthur Ashe Stadium, 14,000-plus seat Louis Armstrong Stadium, two sessions, plus uninterrupted TV coverage around the world to millions more. So today, they're getting a little bang for their buck. We hope we don't get rain, but we're not as concerned. Martina. For me, uh, all the big guns are still in after the first complete round. And on the women's side. On the women's side, well, yeah, well, for the most part. And, uh, and and on the women's side, which is a surprise. And if Venus Williams plays the way she played in her first match, which was extremely impressive, Alina Svitolina today will have her hands full. John. I'll go big picture here as well and just talk about the fact that some days we all go to work, some days we feel better than others. Usually when we don't have great days, we can mask it. Not so tennis players. They are exposed out here. And when your shots aren't falling and you're not feeling the conditions, you have two choices. We've seen players, Simona Halep, Naomi Osaka, Roger Federer, Ash Barty, they've all lost sets but prevailed in matches. Others have not been quite as persistent. Dominic Team, Brett, you talked about four of the top ten men's seeds that are out. I think it just bears keeping in mind. Look, when you're hitting the ball well and everything's going your way, it's easy to win matches. When things are going a little less well, it can be tricky. A lot of times, the better players prevail when they're not 100%. Martina, since you're just joining us and we're not here for the top of the show, have to get your take on Coco Goff's U.S. Open debut last night. Drops the first set, beats yeah. Potapova in three. What were your impressions? Well, Potapova is a big hitter, and Coco Goff figured it out during the match. She she problem solved. She realized she's not going to out hit Potapova, so she changed it up. She mixed it up. She came in some, hit some drop shots. Uh, just did enough to break up the rhythm of Potapova, and to me, that was the most impressive thing. All right, so she moves on to play Tamea Babos in the second round tomorrow. The other big headline today is the fact that four of the top ten men's seeds lost yesterday. Sitsipas and Hatchinoff and Bautista Agut and Dominic Team. Uh, Jim, what carnage have we? It's yeah. a lot of opportunity in the third quarter of the men's draw. Nadal is in that bottom section with them, but his section is virtually intact. Just Hatchinoff removed for that. Tsitsipas, another difficult draw, really. This is not easy. Rublev beat Federer in Cincinnati, but he has a little bit of uh, soul-searching to do. I think he's been a little rattled since he got to, to number five in the world, frankly. He admitted that. Batista Agut, maybe that was the uh, one of the bigger surprises, though. He's so rock-solid, and Kukushkin able to take him down. All right, so as you can see on the bottom there, first time since 2007 at any major that four top ten seeds have lost in the first round. And so while all of this is going on here, across the pond at a rather modest event on the island of Mallorca a man is playing who once won this tournament we are an international panel up here so let's go to Spain where Andy Murray who might have been among those seated players we're talking about is now playing today and if you had Matteo Viola in your rotisserie league pick you are in rough shape because he plays Murray next number 240 they're playing here he's got Sabil in the first round who is unranked 
Then he played gombo shoes, been out here and played some top 100 tennis. Now he has viola. But this is Andy Murray trying to work his way back. There are not a lot of fans. There's not a lot of prize money. We are a world away, half a world anyway, from here at the U.S. Open. But it's great to see Andy Murray back to playing best of three matches. He's playing at the Rafael Nadal Tennis Academy. Rafa has been in touch with Andy. We've, we found out after Rafa's match last night in his interview with Tom Rinaldi that Rafa offered the boat <laughs> if you'd like to go out. But I think Andy's there for business. And uh, it, it's going to be a project for him. It's going to be uh, a process as well. But I think the Australian Open where so many really rode him off because he basically was riding himself off this year, not sure if he was going to be able to even make it to Wimbledon. Be great to see him back there next year, ready to go full tilt. Uh, I wonder if Andy's getting any coaching tips from Uncle Tony. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it just shows the commitment that Andy Murray has. He knows uh, he needs to cover all the bases, and one of them is playing matches to see if, if the hip holds up, how the body reacts, etc. And uh, I know the tennis world is rooting for him to make it back. So, you know, he's doing whatever it takes. And, yeah, he, he's not going to be on the yacht. He's going to be working out. Now, if you can't make it to the U.S. Open, there are worse places to spend a work week than Mallorca. That is going to do it for us on this edition of TC Live. A reminder of where you can watch the U.S. Open on this Wednesday. Live match coverage starts on ESPN at noon Eastern, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Encore coverage on Tennis Channel at midnight and back with you 8 a.m. Eastern for another edition of Tennis channel live we leave you with some sights and sounds of the three-hour monster that means Gail Monfils the ever predictable Gail Monfils <laughs> is your highest seed in that section that's a player already at 15 that has a plan B and is not afraid to think her way through a match and how to figure it out and you don't want her to go big early smart you like my favorite catchphrase patiently aggressive <laughs> Look at the speed, the slide, and then the little shimmy afterwards. <laughs> so Nick was in good mood. You want to win this title, you got to learn to play on Arthur Ashe. It's, there's no other court like it in tennis. Great. I'm convinced they're both going to have terrific careers and find themselves in the top ten. I'm also convinced that Felix is going to be number one. But there we go. Quick hands. <laughs> Quite like a game show. <laughs> what did they win? Picker tape. Woo! Win an inverted yield curve. <laughs> <laughs>